to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Again, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's great to be in worship with you. I forgot to mention last week, uh, we put a new roof on the sanctuary uh, two weeks ago, and I just wanted to let you know that uh, and, and thank you for your generosity and your faithfulness and giving financially that allows us to take care of kind of an emergency situation so we don't have rain like falling in, <laughs> in a disaster. Um, so thank you for your generosity. We try to use it and steward it as best as possible, and so I want you to know when you're in the sanctuary, no rain should fall on your head. It should be very dry. So um, today we're going to continue to... A sermon series, The Short Stories of Jesus, looking at the parables of Jesus. Parables are stories that you can throw along your life that help you see things that otherwise you might miss, that you might not see. And Jesus tells them to shine a light on your life. Today we're going to look actually at three parables. I call them a trilogy that he tells one after the other. And I think it's important to ask, what's different about each of them? What details does Jesus change? What are these parables trying to help us see that we otherwise wouldn't be able to see? That's a long passage. It's Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 32. And since, and actually one of the biggest debates we have on our pastoral staff is when you should pray before the sermon. If you read scripture as I do, the correct way, and then you pray, and then you pray, and then you, and then you launch the sermon, most other folks like to pray, then read scripture, and then go into the sermon. But today, I'm going to pray, and then I'll start us uh, in the scripture, and I'm going to p- comment as we kind of walk through it. So let us open our hearts and minds to the Lord, and let's go in prayer. Gracious, loving God, we do pray that you might illuminate our hearts and our minds, that we might see the things you would have us see, things about our lives that we might rather avoid. Lord, shine a light. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Luke begins. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. There's an audience for Jesus' parables. And we would do well to pay attention to who is in the audience. Because Jesus is trying to help his listeners see themselves in a new light. In this particular scene, Jesus' audience spans the religious and social spectrum. At one end, we have tax collectors and sinners. Now, how many people like the IRS? Right? No, one, no, no one says, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the IRS. Okay, if you take the IRS and put it on steroids, that's how tax collectors were perceived by the surrounding culture at the time. You see, the tax collectors were Jews, but working on behalf of the Romans. And they made their money based on the delta between what the Romans charged them and what they, char- they charged their fellow countrymen. So the more they charged fellow citizens, fellow Israelites, the more money they made. And so they were seen 
as exploiters, as, as traitors to the Jews. Okay? And then we have, Luke mentions, sinners. Sinners. These are irreligious people. These people do not care about religion. They're uninterested, unconcerned with religious matters, about what God wants, about following God's law. And so they're uninterested. But then they hear Jesus talking and they get a little interested and so they walk up. And as they're walking up, it says that the Pharisees and the scribes begin grumbling. The Pharisees and the scribes were quintessential religious people. They're well-educated and deeply concerned about religious matters. They knew the law. Many fasted twice a week. They gave the money they saved. They gave it to the poor. They were really concerned with religious matters. They were well-educated. They had cultural power. And so with this audience before him, Jesus tells three parables. He's got religious diehards and other folks who could care less about religion. And these three parables are about losing and finding. What does it mean to be lost? What does it mean to be found? And does Jesus want us to rethink who fits in to which category? In verse 3 it says, so he told them this parable. Which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, this story would have been hilarious to a group of poor peasants. They would have been like, a hundred sheep? Are you kidding me? One sheep's a lot. I can't even imagine having a hundred sheep. But Jesus tells a parable about a hundred sheep and one is lost. And when the owner goes out, verse 5, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I think the main point here is, even though we have a lot of sheep, we need to pay attention to those who aren't here. We need to seek out and find those who are lost. Oftentimes we can get caught up with whoever's in the room and we forget there are sheep who are not here that we need to care about. This has been a great concern of mine and the ministry of our church over the last couple of years when people come less frequently in person. How do we know who's not here? How do we care for them? How do we reach out to them? How do we, we find those who might be lost? I've been trying to ask, who's missing? Who's lost and who needs to be found? Who's lonely and needs a phone call, a note, an email? Don't be content with the 99 that are here. Be concerned also with the one who isn't here, the one who is lost. And then Jesus tells a second parable. Verse 8, he goes on. Or what woman having ten silver coins? Notice here, Jesus begins with a hundred sheep, and then he goes with ten coins. This woman has ten coins, and if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
These two parables basically have the same structure. There is a group, and then one of the group is lost. Then that one is found, and then the party is thrown to celebrate. Jesus says there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So we have a parable about sheep. We have a parable about ten coins. And then Jesus is going to tell a third parable about two sons. Verse 11, then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. This is equivalent of like saying, father, I cannot wait for you to die. I want my inheritance now. Give it to me now. I can't wait. So the father divided his property between them. Verse 13, a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating. And no one gave him anything. This younger son has wasted his inheritance on dissolute living, fallen on hard times, and now resorts to feeding pigs. And they won't even give him what the pigs eat. This would have been totally abhorrent to a Jewish audience. Then in verse 17, but when he came to himself, this younger son comes to himself, he has an aha moment. He said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. Notice what he says here. I am no longer to be worthy one of your sons. Treat me like a slave continues so he set off and went to his father and while he was still far off his father saw him if we read between the lines it's as if this father is on the lookout he's waiting for his son to come home he's waiting and so he is filled with compassion the father is and he runs out and he puts his arms around him and kisses him and this is one of the most moving images i believe in the new testament His father welcoming his son home. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. The younger son was lost, but has been found, and now there's a party. The parable continues. Notice we have kind of a simple structure here. You have a group, one is lost. So we have sheep, one is lost. We have coins of which one is lost we have two sons of which one is lost and when they're found there's a party 
celebration. But Jesus continues to tell his parable. I wonder why. He says, now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. Definitely not Baptists. And he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. See, his older son comes home from working in the field, and he's beside himself hearing this party. He's disgusted. Of course I'm not going to go in. I think there are three salient details I want you to notice. In verse 29, the older son uses kind of a harsh word towards his father. He says, says, listen. He doesn't use what we'd commonly expect, a a word of honor to dad or or, or, or of intimacy father. He says, listen. This language suggests that there's something wrong with their relationship. And then second, he self-righteously says, I've never disobeyed your command. Oh, come on, get real. (laughs) Seems to be overestimating his moral perfection. This surely can't be the case. And then the third, he refers to his brother as this son of yours. Notice he's putting distance between him and his brother. This son of yours. He can't even bring himself to calling him his brother. And so there must be some fracture here between the older son and his brother and his father. And the parable continues. But when the son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and is found. And so we have one out of a hundred sheep is lost and is found. One out of ten coins is lost and is found. The younger son was lost and is found. What about the older brother? Each of these stories has the same structure. But in the third story, the older son will not go in to celebrate his brother being found. And so I wonder if Jesus tells this third parable to ironically point to the the fact the older brother is also lost. Remember who's in the audience for Jesus to tell this parable. We have sinners They could read between the lines. They know who they are. They don't care about religion. They don't care about following God's law. Probably were fairly familiar with dissolute living and all that went with that. And as the guilt began to creep in, all of a sudden they hear this great story of the father coming out on the lookout waiting for them and welcoming the younger son home. Father's waiting with open arms. If you're lost, God wants to welcome you home. But there's another group of people in the audience. And that's the Pharisees. 
these hyper-religious folks, how do they hear the story? When the older brothers invited into the party and refuses to go in. I wonder what they think. Notice what the older brother says. Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Do you see the problem there? The older brother is a son, but he has the spirit of a slave. He's forgotten who he is. I have been working like a slave for you. He's his master's son, his master of the house. He's, he's his father. They probably see each other every night. Says he obeys all his father's commands, but he has no relationship with the father. It's been fractured. He's slaving away and he's forgotten. He's a son. You are not a a slave, you're a son. I wonder how many of us forget our identity as children of God. How many of us find ourselves acting like slaves, forgetting we're sons? We dutifully do all the right, righteous things. We are certain of our religious standing. We know who is lost and who is found. And when those who are lost come back, we're a little circumspect, a little hesitant to go into the party, to celebrate. The elder son is dutifully obeying his father as a slave would. I'm reminded of a saying that's attributed to C.S. Lewis. He used to say, duty is the cast we put around broken love. Duty is the cast we put around broken love. Has the Christian life become a series of religious obligations, of going through the motions? You see, the older son may not have gone anywhere, but he is just as lost. Both sons are lost. The other one, the younger one comes back to the father, intending to work as a slave, and the father says, you're no slave, you're a son. The older brother tells the father, I've been slaving away here at home for you. And the father says, you're not a slave, you're a son. Lost sheep is found. Lost coin is found. The younger son is found. What about the older brother? The older son, is he still lost? All of us who have kind of a religious orientation to our lives... And if you show up in person at church on a Sunday morning, I have a hunch you're on that end of the spectrum. We've got to wrestle with this. Remember, we're no slave, but we're a child of God. One of the best books written about this parable by one of the great spiritual writers of the 20th century was a guy by the name of Henry Nouwen. He wrote a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. One day, Henry sees a copy of Rembrandt's painting on hanging on the back of a friend's door, and he's captivated by it. Henry, at this point, was a famous spiritual writer, a priest, a spiritual director. He had worked at some of the finest theological institutions in the country. When he saw this painting, he was in the, in the middle of a transition where he was going from Harvard Divinity School to Canada, where he was going to work in a community of mentally and physically disabled folks. And during this transition, some friends invite him to go to St. Petersburg, Russia, 
go to the Hermitage Museum. That's where the return of the prodigal son is displayed. And Henry sits himself in front of the painting and meditates on it and is, sits there for hours thinking about it. And he always has thought of himself up until this point as the younger son. And then a friend of his says, Henry, you're no younger son. You're the older brother. And he says, it's true, indeed. I knew since the age of six I wanted to be a priest. I always obeyed all the rules, always went through the motions. And he says, amidst this, I have forgotten who the Father is. And as he studied the painting, he began to focus in on the older brother. The older brother standing there in the shadows, looking down with condescension, bitterness, and anger as the father embraces the younger son. And after much reflection, now one realizes that Rembrandt, when painting it, has combined the audience that Jesus told the Pharisees, the religious folks, into the older brother. The older brother is a Pharisee, a scribe, a religious person. The older son has worked so hard. He's been around the father, but he does, he know the father. Now and writes, oh sure, you've been working hard, dutifully carrying out your chores, putting in a hard day's work, but amidst all that hard work, have you lost the father? Have you forgotten who he is? Have you forgotten this isn't about religion, but it's about a relationship? And the parable ends on an ambiguous note with the father's words. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. And then Jesus looks at his audience, full of people across the religious spectrum, the religious diehards and the irreligious who could care less. And Jesus' question confronts them. It confronts us too. Whether you're the son who left or you're the son who stayed, both can be lost. The question is, when you've been found, when you're reminded you're not a slave, you're a son, the question is, will you come in? Will you join the party? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, whether we stayed or left, Lord, the question does confront us, will we come in where there's singing and dancing, where there's a party? What a beautiful image for the Christian life, Lord. May that image flow through our hearts, our minds, our community that we might celebrate the good news we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.